3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to I will be want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you, and put this crazy market in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. The S&P 500 just hit. A new all-time high, taking out the previous peak Ah! on February 19th. And all I heard is it's because we're having a V-shaped recovery. Wrong, wrong, wrong. They know nothing. Not just wrong, but actually laughable. In a V-shaped recovery, the Dow Jones Industrial Average would be hitting new highs. But this move has been led by the NASDAQ and the S&P, including today. the Dow Jones Industrial lost 67 points, even as the S&P advanced 0.23 percent, the NASDAQ gained a staggering 0.73 percent. Now, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. Just look at the stocks that have brought us to these levels. They're not the recovery place. In fact, they are the Opposite. They are stocks that tend to do well because of what we call secular considerations. No, not secular like non-religious, but secular as in they are doing well because of trends in their own industries, not the economy. Far from it. Allow me to explain. We have had a magnificent V-shaped recovery in the stock market. But the stock market's not a great reflection of the broader economy anymore. If anything, the actual economy is in precarious shape, especially now that the government stimulus package has run out. And Congress went home for the summer rather than trying to come up with a replacement. And and don't even get me started on the destruction of small business that's about to happen. So I want to put this whole notion of a V-shaped recovery on trial because it doesn't stand up to even the most mild of scrutiny. First witness for the prosecution in this list of stocks that have done well is PayPal. Yes, it's the best performer in the S&P since the February peak. Now, last week, we interviewed CEO Dan Schulman. He made it clear that PayPal's business is on fire. Because nobody wants to touch cash when it could be bathed in COVID. Nobody wants to input their pin in a debit card reader for the same reason. We need contactless payments, and that's PayPal in a nutshell. When you see that this stock's rallied 57% since the top of February 19th, you need to know that's terrible for the regular banks. JP Morgan, Bank of America, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, they all, they all could be partners with PayPal, but it's just bad for their business. See, financial tech plays like PayPal thrive when money managers are afraid to own the real financials with actual credit risk. They need some financial exposure, though, so they buy fintech because they don't want that credit risk if the economy is about to go down again, which is what they think. Second witness? Nvidia, the company I renamed my thirteen-year-old rescue dog after. By the way, Nvidia has a card to be able to get into Nvidia. He it does. It's a little green card. It's, 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 it, ID. it's his ID ID card. You know, you swap it. Now he, he wouldn't know how to swap it. Anyway, he's dumb as a bag of hammers. Anyway, unlike Nvidia, the dog, this company can hunt. The chip maker dominates all sorts of incredibly burgeoning markets of machine learning, artificial intelligence, edge computing, gaming, data center. And video today is what Intel was in the 90s. CEO Jensen Wong is a modern day Leonardo da Vinci. He's an architect, he's an inventor, he's an engineer, and he's a visionary. Not to mention, he's also the nicest chief executive I've met in my 15 years doing the show. No offense to Mark Benioff, a very close second. Plus, Wang has a cool leather jacket that I could never pull off. NVIDIA reports tomorrow, and I have no idea if they'll be able to justify the stock's 55% gain since the February top because the bar is now so high. But the point here is that NVIDIA is not the kind of stock Wall Street flocks to in a rapid economic recovery. It's anti-cyclical. It figures out how to to make things that don't even exist in most of our minds. Third witness is Apple, up 43% from the February top. You know, what can I say here? Uh, For years, I've said you should own Apple, not trade it. And I stuck to the party line even after the pandemic got rolling. The stock got hit with wave after wave of downgrades, a slew of negative stories about how it could be crushed by China or knocked out by lockdown or beaten by the worldwide recession. None of it mattered to me. The company put up incredible numbers because iPhones and iPads and laptops are essential in the stay-at-home economy. The rapidly growing service revenue stream didn't skip a beat. And the company's products are loved with a 99 percent. Well, what do you say? Satisfaction? The best there is. Apple's not a recovery play at all. It's a secular growth play that works in good times and bad. I have a thing I like to say about Apple. I say, uh, own it, don't trade it. Fourth witness is Kramer Fave Advanced Micro Devices. AMD is just like NVIDIA, another terrific semiconductor company. It's taking share from Intel thanks to the leadership of the incredible CEO, Lisa Su. This one's all about PCs and data centers. After years of playing catch-up, this was the quarter where AMD decisively beat Intel because they can now make smaller chips than Intel can't. No one of the stocks up 38% since the S&P peaked in February. Once again, AMD's not a recovery play. This is a classic David and Goliath story. It's biblical. As these semiconductors get more complicated, you need better technology to design them, like the technology from Cadence Design Systems, the fifth best performer, up 36% from the previous highs. Cadence is a pretty opaque company, but it tells the, it tells the same story. We're looking for a, at a tech rally, not a recovery rally. Witness number six, Corvo, which is not to be confused with Cuervo, the tequila we serve at Bar San Miguel, my small plate Mexican restaurant that's struggling mightily with social distancing in Brooklyn. Corvo is another chip maker with a stock that's up 27% from February peak. Why, you ask? Because they make radio chips for, yep, you, you got it, iPhone, have a good client, we'll travel. Witness seven is Qualcomm. Says Qualcomm it tells the exact same story. Their intellectual property makes cell phones possible. And they've been winning some major lawsuits, giving them a larger cut from companies like Apple. That's why Qualcomm's up 24% from February High. Nothing to do with the economy. Next up, we got a semiconductor equipment maker, KLA Tencor, up 22% over the same period. Again, we're selling lots of gadgets for the stay-at-home economy. These gadgets need chips. And to make more chips, you need a from KLA Tencor or one of its peers, Lamb Research, which is up 12% and was one of the best-performing stocks in the whole market last year. Not a recovery. Witness number nine, ServiceNow, the cloud-based software company that helps businesses automate all sorts of information technology and back office jobs. ServiceNow is one of our cloud kings. The new CEO, Bill McDermott, formerly of SAP, came in hot, using his massive Rolodex to win a ton of new clients. Stocks up 22% from the February top, and it's not done. Once again, this is a digitization stock, not a recovery stock. Finally, number 10 is Synopsys, which is in the same wheelhouse as the Cadence Design Company. For that superior semiconductor design work, it's rallied 21% since the S&P's last peak. Now, for those of you who think I'm actually cherry-picking, the next 10 best performers look pretty similar. Three semiconductor and semiconductor equipment stocks, one work-from-home play, two fintechs, one cell phone component stock, two e-commerce names and Microsoft. In short, the S&P 500 is not making new highs because of the industrials the apparel stocks or the retail or the banks that want small businesses and companies that are hiring. No! This move's been fueled by the biggest story of the COVID recession, digitization. And when we talk about digitizing the economy, you know what that's shorthand for? Cut out the fat. With the fat being, alas, the people who are part of the real economy. When you can't afford to hire people, you bring in this brigade of hardware and software companies, and they do it for you, and they do it let's just say, in brutal fashion. Meanwhile, the industrials are nothing to write home about. The financials are dreadful. Retail's got a few winners, Home Depot, Walmart, all set by a lot of losers, like bankrupt companies that are too small to talk about and Kohl's or Nordstrom. The winners in this market are the companies that are most divorced from the underlying economy. They're not plays on a V-shaped recovery. There isn't one. They're placed on an L-shaped economy. It's going nowhere without more stimulus. Here's the bottom line. The S&P's new highs are a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing about the hardship of millions of people on food stamps or the millions about to be fired from service jobs or the homeless or the people who are just huddled at home waiting for the vaccine, which currently feels a lot like waiting for good dough. Stefan in Florida, Stefan. Booyah, Jim. Thanks for having me on the show. How's it going? Glad that you're on the show. What's happening? Uh, I just wanted to ask you about the stock Madison Square Garden with
1: the ticker tag MSGS. It's trading at 158 which is exactly half of its 52-week high of 316 Right. Only $10 above its 52-week low from late June. Madison Square Garden is a household name that, to me, does not seem like it will go by the wayside, even without conducting any business at the moment. Sports concerts and other events have to come back eventually, and Madison Square Garden will resume normal operations when that happens. Broadway is set to reopen in January, so I presume that Madison Square Garden will begin hosting well, more. Well, if you, if you feel that way,
3: Stefan, then just go by Live Nation, okay? It's a better-run company. Mike Rapino, who's got to come back on the show, he will do a much better job. That's the better one. Stock's down 30%. Lauren in Virginia. Lauren. Booyah. Jim Cramer uh, from Virginia here.
1: Um, I have a question about a company that has done a recent acquisition of Compella University. The—, G- the The stock gap down from its last earnings call. It's now looking to do a public offering of shares to acquire more um, education. So what do you recommend um, for this online educator provider? I'm not a big fan of online education. education. I know that
3: they always talk a great game. They're fabulous. They'll come on, and they will make you want to buy the stock. And then you'll get what you just see right on the screen. Christopher in California. Christopher.
4: Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me on the show.
3: I'm glad you're on the show. So my question is,
4: with the schools starting to reopen and folks getting back to work, I was thinking people might need some new jeans. What's your thoughts on Levi?
3: I happen to like Chip Berg. I like Levi's, but I think that right now the apparel business, unless you're in Columbia Sportswear or unless you're in Lululemon, is no place to be. So I cannot recommend. As much as I think that Levi's is going to be a winner long term, it's too long-term for this guy. All right, this is not a V-shaped recovery. I need you to go, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. when those chowder heads come, excuse me, when those ill-advised people come on our shows and read enter in the paper telling you this market is telling you about a V-shaped recovery. Look at, look at these stocks. Look at the stocks that brought us here. You see any recovery there? No. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, Home Depot and Walmart grabbed all the headlines today, but I'm focused on one big box retailer that's growing like a, then concerns about the U.S. recovery have put the dollar on the defensive, but can it retain, retain its status as the world's number one currency? Hey, I'm going to go off the charts for a surprising story. And Columbia Sportswear still outfit your portfolio through the uncertainty? I'm talking with the CEO after earnings, so stay with Kramer.
2: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to
0: madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
2: Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact.
3: hearing from all sorts of big box retailers this week but you can't expect them to hammer home the full story which is that their smaller competitors have been devastated by the pandemic. So they're taking market share left and right. They can't really brag about stamping out mom-and-pop stores all over the country. That's bad sportsmanship. Plus, none of these CEOs wants to be raked over the coals by the House Antitrust subcommittee. For the record, the stunning numbers from Home Depot and Walmart were fantastic. If you have watched all day, you don't need me to tell you that. But every once in a while, you hear about a chain that owns an entire category and isn't afraid to say it. We saw it pass with Boot Barn, its wide assemblage of boots and Western-style apparel. We saw it in Canada Goose at one point, which owned the high-end parking category until they couldn't maintain their growth and other competitors caught up with them. We've seen it with Lululemon in the high-end ath- athleisure space. And today I've got another one. And if you watched the so last night, you know it. It's called Grow Generation, the hydroponic gardening chain that sells everything you need to grow cannabis at scale. Yes, it's the tractor supply of pot. Hydroponic rhymes with chronic. We spoke to Grow Generation last night, and they told the best story I have heard in ages. Look at that. He's lost weight. Have you noticed? All right. Now, I'm a gardener, although my plants tend to be a little more traditional. If you've ever been to a gardening store, you get what's known as flats of plants, and then you plant them. Usually, there's no one to help you. It's tough uh, enough to get someone who can tell you that you might need tomato baskets or steaks even. If you want seeds, forget about it. The big box chains carry the major company seeds and flats, and they have no real help beyond checkout people. It drives me crazy. In short, I've been to a lot of gardening stores, and I'm always disappointed especially by the gardening centers, since they all tend to have uh, these bonnie plants, which I think is a very iffy brand, frankly. Grow generation is different. I rarely circle back to a guest that was just on, but when it happens, you know I mean business. This is an $840 million operation, like growing like, well, but growing like a weed. It's got 28 stores, and this past quarter, their same store sales were up to 49%. See, if you use these, you have to take out the seeds. And that's why they work so well. I don't suggest use these because then you have to take the seeds out and you have to take a lot of the gunk out. Anyway, uh, 49% is insanely good, even though it's small, it's profitable. That's fabulous. But honestly, even though stunning numbers don't capture the full story, what really matters, Grow Generation is a specialty chain catering to the growth of the marijuana industry, the time when it's being legalized, state after state. Plus, this is a great time to get into gardening because there's not not a lot to do for fun. (laughs) What makes this chain so special? The runway. They still only have a handful of stores in each market where cannabis is legal. They want to nearly double the store count next year via opening their own large stores and acquisitions. There are roughly a 1,000 independents out there. They can put up hundreds of stores and be nowhere near saturation. Growth generation stores have all the equipment you need to get into the wheat business, including the specialized lighting. It's not easy setting up a hydroponics lab, but they've got seasoned growers on staff to help you, whether you're a small, medium-sized business or you're an individual. Genius. What else does this stock have going for it? First, it's a marijuana play with good fundamentals. The current crop of cannabis stocks is truly wanting. Tilray, Kronos, Canopy, they all cut the hearts out of the shareholders. Only Green Thumb really interests me. Second, Grow Generation doesn't do Canada. It's in the U.S. only, which makes a ton of sense and is actually a lot less sketchy. Nothing illegal about selling gardening equipment in this country. Third, this year, seven states have cannabis legislation on the ballot in one form or another. Given that legalization tends to be pretty popular, that means seven more states where growth generation can expand. Finally, if you get a Democratic sweep in November, there's a real chance that we get federal marijuana legalization. Biden said he's against it. But if Democratic Congress passes it, I don't think he'll veto it. In other words, a Democratic sweep would make growth generation one of the hottest stocks in the entire market. Even without that, though, they've got a ton of room to grow in the states where it's currently legit. In California, it's like almost no stores. Oregon, Washington. Now, one big caveat. The stock's up way, way too much, and I I hate to chase. But they've already done a fundraising. They're not going to do that in your face. And there's a scarcity of pick-and-shovel plays in the cannabis business. The big box chains really don't want to touch this stuff. I think they think it's unsavory. So you have my blessing to put on a small position and grow generation tomorrow. Then wait for it to come in so you can buy more, because this is one of the best stories in retail that's going right now. Stick with Craigslist. I like that new off-the-charts music. I hope it continues. But it probably won't, because we're talking about the dollar, and that's why we played it. For months now, the market's had a secret source of strength, and it's the weaker dollar. At the time, the government's borrowing trillions upon trillions of dollars, and the government's (laughs) just putting money like there's no tomorrow, right? Come on, we all know that. You'd expect our currency to get hurt versus everyone else's, which is exactly how things have played out. That's one reason why so many American industrials have managed to have great stocks here. A weak dollar means their exports are cheaper for the rest of the world because this is a big competitive advantage, even though it also makes imports more expensive. This is one of those things that generally uh, is great for the economy. You need a manufacturing base, right? But it hurts the consumer. And certainly if you want to go overseas. All told, but you can't anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> All told, I love it when the greenback goes down because you got tons of U.S. baseball multinational's nationals and their er- overseas earnings are worth more with a weak dollar. For example, just to walk you through this, if you make 100 euros in France or Germany, that's now rough, worth roughly $120. Earlier this year, it was worth barely more than $100. That's a very big, what we call delta. It's huge. And if the downward trajectory holds it, it would change the tenor of every industrial conference call going forward. But... And this is an ominous, but for our internationally oriented companies, what happens if the dollar is about to get stronger again? I don't know what soul is thinking. This. Maybe it sounds exceedingly unlikely to, to you, given that the Fed's still in money printing mode. I know in it, 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 Twitter at Jim Cramer, people just hate this piece that we're doing. The rest of the world's done a much better job of containing the pandemic, right, aside from Brazil. Tonight, though, we're going off the charts to explain a totally contrarian call. that a, a dollar rally might be in the cards. And you have to get bullish on the dollar. And this is with the help of Larry Williams, legendary figure in the industry who's been trading stocks, futures, and commodities since I was a kid. He's written more than a dozen books. He's got his own website, IReallyTrade.com. He's created a bunch of different indicators that we use all the time. And his recent track record, frankly, is downright spectacular. See, Williams thinks the dollar could be ready to roar here which is a huge out-of-the-box call that no one else is making, although he's been making a lot of great calls lately. In April, when everyone was terrified that the sky was falling, uh, Williams predicted that we'd start reopening the economy in mid-May and the averages would roar higher. (laughs) Well, hey, guess what? A month ago, he told us the S&P 500 was headed toward its old highs. We actually made a new intraday high today, although he was less sanguine about what happens to the stock market after that. Well, we'll see. And now Williams tells us that the greenback might be bottoming. Okay, so look at this. First, take, take... Take a gander at this monthly chart of the dollar index, which measures our money against a basket of total currencies, okay? After trending higher for years, right? I mean, just look at this. Just up, up, up. The dollar started getting slammed when COVID hit, and since then, it's continued to trend lower. However, you see this red line at the bottom? This is data from the CFTC's commitment of Traders report the cot report. It shows you the aggregate buying and selling of commercial hedgers in the dollar index think banks and governments whenever these commercial hedgers build a big net long position above the gray horizontal line We points out that the dollar index actually tends to rally pretty consistently We've just gotten to a point where the commercial hedgers are net long and an unusually bullish position that says buy the greenback next Check out this monthly chart with a different key indicator, okay? This blue line is a model that measures the relationship between the dollar index and crude oil prices. Typically, there's a strong negative correlation here as oil's price in dollars. Williams notes that every time the blue line goes into undervalued territory since 2005, it has correctly predicted a big rally in the dollar index, and that's exactly where we are now. Not not believer. Okay, what about seasonal patterns? Let's zoom in, not using the zoom, but zoom in on the weekly chart of the dollar index. The zoomy, the boozy brunch zoom. No, this is not what we're talking about. This is a zoom in on the red line. Shows you how it tends to trade at a given point in the year. Williams points out that we're nearing the seasonal low for the dollar and about six weeks. History suggests we should get a nice rally. But these seasonal patterns aren't set in stone so that you can only take that one so far to the bank. Let's zoom in even further with the dollar index's daily chart. Last week, we got what is known as a TD sequential 13 buy signal. OK, a little complicated. But long story short, about 40 years ago, Larry Williams and Tom DeMarc, the other titan of technical analysis, noticed a powerful what's known as reversal pattern. Can't get into all the details right now. It would take a little too long. You can look up these TD sequential setups online. The point is, last week, this pattern gave you a powerful buy signal, one that suggests the decline in the dollar is coming to an end. Okay, one more. Williams has forecast, too. something he's great at. Take a gander at the daily chart of the dollar index over the past year. The red line is a forecast for the dollar based on oil prices and shows something very similar to what he saw in the seasons. According to Williams' oil-based forecast, the dollar index should put in a bottom in the first part of September. Of course, this isn't a precise science. The projection might be off by days, even weeks. But what matters is that the dollar index is likely to change direction in the near future. All right. How about gold? Just like oil, gold, and the dollar typically move in, direction, in in opposite directions, you know, gold goes up, dollar goes down, whatever. Gold is priced in dollars. If you look at the dollar index over the last year and then layer on an upside-down chart of gold prices, you see they, they move almost in tandem. Uh, because it's such a powerful inverse relationship. When gold goes up, the dollar index goes down. And lately, gold's been roaring. So that should be another signal. I want to present a contrary view just for a second. Uh, we just heard from Carly Garner, another terrific technician. She says gold speculators have built up huge net long positions in the precious metal. Commercial hedgers uh, have net huge net long positions, too. So Garner predicted that gold might run out of steam about where it seemed to peak last week because there are too many bulls. And while Williams is a lot less bearish on gold, he recognizes that all this institutional ownership is a bad sign. A crowded trade is rarely a winning trade, and gold's gotten crowded. But given the linkage between gold and the greenback, falling gold prices would likely mean a rising dollar. Now, any of these things alone wouldn't make me do this piece. It wouldn't necessarily mean anything. But when you put them all together, well, the bottom line is that the charts, as interpreted by the great Larry Williams, that the U.S. dollar could be ready to come out of its funk and start rallying again. I don't know a soul who believes that. If he's right, we're going to have to reassess a whole host of American companies that have been getting a huge boost from our weakened currency. And by reassess, I mean lighten up on stocks of companies with big overseas sales. Let's go to Christopher in California. Christopher. Hey, Jim. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. Thank the- you. How about you? Very good. Thank you. In light of the Fed's weak monetary policy,
1: I think investors should start shifting their investments to gold and gold mining stocks. We've seen Warren Buffett, who historically stayed away from gold, recently invest sidebolt mountain in Barrick gold. I'm
3: concerned by the Fed's recent monetary policy decisions. Are you and do you see gold as an investment safe haven? I've always felt that gold should be 10% of your uh, portfolio. Lately, it's gotten so much big that it might not even be 10%, it might be more. Here's what you need to know. I am, not gonna, I am totally discounting Warren Buffett's move to buy uh, Barrick. Why? I don't, I don't want to be a pig about this, but when Mark Bristow put those two companies together, we said buy it. And I, you know, Mark would be the first to tell you, listen, it just doubled. You're not coming at the bottom. And that's one of the reasons why I like Bristow. So this was not an early call. However, the sale of the banks... Well, I mean, Wells Fargo was at 50, and you're selling it now. Hey, maybe it's going a lot lower. But I didn't like either call, and not everybody's perfect. Certainly not me. Mark in Ohio, Mark. Jim, Mark. First-time caller. Been a fan of the show for 15 plus years. Thank you. There you go. We've been at it 15 years. I had hair then. Not really. What's up? <laughs> well, now my three-year-old son Cash and I tune in regularly, and he loves you, and he wants Kids to Kids got say more hi. sense. I play more. Hey, hi. Hi, Jim Flamble. How you doing, partner? Hey, good. Hi, Jim Flamble. So, Jim, back in March, April, when oil prices
4: collapsed, I dollar-cost averaged my way into several different large-cap oil stocks, including refiners, explorations, and service providers. Okay. I followed your advice religiously by taking profits a few times as the country slowly reopened and the oil sector stabilized. Right. Dr. Chill, my question for you. Knowing your bear thesis in the oil gas sector from listening to your actionalert.com
3: calls, should I consolidate my holdings into one major, sell for something else, or let them all rise? I am perfectly willing to let you consolidate under a Chevron. Uh, because Mike Worth is doing a terrific job. But you know I look at those break-even numbers, and oil is really struggling here. It needs to go up to 50 to make a lot of money in those oils. I prefer you to take your profits, roll a lot of it in Chevron, and then pick something else. And I loved your kid. I love your kid. And thank you so much. And please, remember, oil is a declining commodity because of EV and so many other reasons. All right, this is a bold out-of-the-box call tonight. This chartist, Larry Williams, thinks the greenback is making a comeback. I have predicated a lot of my stock picking on the idea that it's not going to have a comeback. So maybe we got to reassess a whole host of American companies. Much more may have money ahead, including my exclusive with a company I adore, Columbia Sportswear. Stock is tested tough, but could it survive the market's unknowns? i got the CEO, and I'm sitting down with the CEO of a controversial one, eHealth. See if its recent decline could be a buying opportunity. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with... Kramer. Does it make sense to start dipping your toe back in the apparel stocks? Consider the case of Columbia Sportswear. The apparel company you might also recognize as Sorel Mountain Hardware, Prana, among other brands. A few weeks ago, Columbia reported a surprisingly robust quarter with a big revenue beat and a much smaller than expected earnings loss. But in absolute terms, business was still rough, with sales down 40% year-over-year. And, of course, they couldn't provide guidance because the apparel industry really needs a vaccine, and we don't know when that's coming. In response, Columbia's stock initially got hammered, plunging from the low 80s to the low 70s in a matter of days. But a funny thing happened a week and a half ago. The darn thing started to rally again, to the point where Columbia has now made up nearly all of its post-earnings losses, What happened here? I think Wall Street took another look at the quarter with more emphasis on the positives. Magnus said that the second quarter should be the weakest part of the year and declines could moderate in the second half. In other words, the worst is over. Throw in the fact that Columbia is a fabulous outdoor brand at a time when hiking is one of the few things people can do for fun. And this move makes a lot of sense. So can it keep climbing? Let's check in with Tim Boyle, the chairman and CEO of Columbia Sportswear, get a better sense of the quarter and where his company is headed. Mr. Boyle, welcome back to Mad Money.
4: Hey Jim, thanks for having me back on.
3: Oh, of course, Tim. So I was on all these calls today, the Home Depot's and the Walmart's. Here's what's in short supply. Fishing rods, clothes <laughs> to fishing, clothes to hiking. And I started thinking what's really in short supply is what Columbia sells.
4: <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's one of the few things you can do with your family. It's inexpensive. It's close to home. You can have a great time, you know. You may you may not have to wear a mask depending on how how uh, thick the trail is with people and you know it's right it's right in our sweet spot.
3: Well, what's interesting if you go to the website you'll see one uh, of you represented. They're all real people, okay? You have Bubba Wallace, real person, tough guy, does all this stuff outdoors. You got people. Sky got the biggest fish I've ever seen. And I always feel when I go, it's people who tell you they like Columbia, not you telling them to like Columbia.
4: Well, we've always called ourselves a very democratic brand and we don't we don't take ourselves too seriously. You know, our our marketing typically has some fun to it. And, you know, it's supposed to be fun outdoors. and, And that's what we mean.
3: But one thing you don't that you don't have fun with. You released a 2019 corporate responsibility report. I thought this was really important, important enough to tell my, to my daughter, because she's often saying they're sweatshops, sweatshops, sweatshops. You completed 390 unannounced audits conducted at our manufacturing partner facilities. How did they do? Well,
4: you know, uh, it's an area, frankly, that we, we take some criticism internally, not because we, we don't do a spectacular job, but be, because we don't it to our marketing and and the reason is you know it's it's very difficult to outgreen or to out uh consumerize, uh our in, in our segment there are some companies that are exclusively marketing that we just take it very seriously we have a whole team of people that do these audits and we we have a very stringent audit uh, protocol where we go through the books uh for the company that we're using as a vendor and we have teams of people we interview employees at the factories and, and we take this stuff seriously. you know for us we we have a terrific group of, of directors and, and independent directors, and these guys all have significant reputational risk. We don't want to have anything that's a problem, and so we've we've been very, very. Focused on that part of the
3: business. All right, good because I think there's a lot of younger people who look at that first. But I understand how you want to do it because you guys, in many ways, are not an apparel company. You're a technical company that is done clean and right. I'm thinking about not how whether Walmart has too many shirts or Kohl's has too many pants, but how many Omni Heat Black Dot products can I get this year?
4: Well, listen, we've got to, we're going to have a few for you, and they really it's it, they really work. We've been working on a demonstration uh, process to use in some of our stores and online where people can actually see the heat magnet that Black Dot is. And it's, it's going to be a game changer for our company for sure.
3: Yeah, I, look, I like to go to games outside. You know, of course, now we've got this problem with games not going outdoor. But is this something that I would be comfortable in hiking uh, in, in that it would feel light, but at the same time keep me warm?
4: Absolutely. The uh, – the dots that are on the exterior of the garment actually heat up with the sun's rays or even um, artificial light, and so huh. you can get warm with a very uh, with a smaller amount of insulation. And this is going to be really good stuff. People will wear it and recognize how important it is that that it, it works as well as it does.
3: Well, I was also not just the science that your company's developed, but this seemed to be the quarter where e-commerce uh, reveal. You get, have a company that you've had, you've even closed some brick-and-mortar stores that are underperforming. But it seems like people feel much more comfortable going online and buying your stuff than they ever have.
4: Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. We have a big e-commerce business of our own that we've started and we're continuing to invest in. But we also have a significant amount of presence in other retailers' e-com sites, which would include Dix.com. We have some, um, an Amazon business of some significance. Uh, and, and we have uh, business in Europe with firms like Zalando. So the company has actually a quite robust omni-channel exposure to its brand, not just through our own websites.
3: Well, it seemed to me, because I watched this Lululemon very closely, uh, the real pros tell me Prana is better than Lululemon. Lou's casual, Prana's the real deal. Uh, you have really good e-commerce there. Is there a way to be able to just blow that out? Because the technical people tell me it's a superior product.
4: Well, you know, we really, sh- we should spend more time and, and there's always more investment to be made in the e-commerce site and digital in general. And we're in the process, as you know, of installing an upgrade to our whole uh, e-commerce platform. And uh, that's going to be fully installed in this quarter. And that will help us to tell the story better and to focus more on exposing the brand, all the brands to the public and, and all their, the superior features.
3: Well, you sure have them. And anyone who does technical or likes to be outdoors knows that your company's not an apparel company. Your, your company is a hiking and outdoor recreational company. Tim Boyle, thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. That's Tim Boyle, CEO and Chairman of Columbia Sportswear. Guys, this one is bottomed. And they are, they've are they got some great technical stuff that's coming. The world's an oyster factory at this point. Mad Money's back in It is time. It's time for the lightning round. Let's And then on the lightning round is over, are you ready, Ski, Daddy? It's time for the lightning round. money. I want to start with Ed in New York and Jimmy J Chill. Oh, Yo, man. What's up? <laughs> What's up? Will you tell me, please, what is up with Livongo? Am oh, I look, it's coming back. It's you back. know, it shook out a lot of people. I think the Telegraph Livongo has created the powerhouse in the telemed uh, uh, company, you know, in that particular space. It's a must-buy, actually. I was working on a piece to do tomorrow, but now I'm going to wait a little bit. It's a must-buy. How about Gavin in New York? Gavin. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. Hey, I was wondering if you'd give us your feedback on
4: the Corp.
3: I don't know. We got, they got a study coming up. We got to see because uh, right now it's kind of doing nothing. And I, I like almost all these speculative stocks, but I'm not going to bless that one right now. Let's go to Reed in Florida. Reed! Jimmy Chill, how you doing? Chill man in house, what's going on? Hey, wondering if Celsius holding stock is as good as the drink they sell. This thing is so hot. I, I got to tell you, let's do this. Let's do a whole piece on it. I love doing the drink stocks. I mean, remember we did uh, Sam Adams. That was fabulous. We do Monster. Uh, we've got to do something on this. And I'm telling my, I'm telling Ben Stoda right now. Ben, let's focus. All right, David in California. David. Hey, how's it going, Jim? Thank you for taking my call. Of course. My name is David, and I'm calling from Wilmington, California. I All was right. wondering, what are your thoughts on natural on the natural gas industry? specifically a company called eqt i mean I, I, i'll tell you specific- what i think sell, i think sell, natural sell, gas sell, is sell, sell, i, I sell, actually sell. i mean there's like way too much natural gas i think you're gonna sell eqt all uh, right you know it's not gonna act like someone's like gonna bid for it but i think that's highly unlikely let's go to jake in new jersey jake kramer calm small town mountain lakes win the day love the show booyah love mountain lakes very good elks uh by the way great great macross holy cow what's up oh yeah Got a quick question about the home building industry, specifically DR Horton, ticker DHI. Uh, Horton is so good. I mean, look, we could, you know, you could be saying, well, Jim, how about Lennar How about KB Homes? Uh, how about Pulte? And Toll, they are all on fire, and I think they can stay on fire because rates are so low and everybody wants to flee the cities, as they say. How about we go to Luis in North Carolina? Luis. Hello, Jim. It's Luis in North Carolina. We haven't talked in a long time, Chief. How are you? It's good to hear from you. I'm doing fine. How about you? Fantastic. I can't wait to visit uh, Bart and Miguel, but in the meantime... And you're very kind. I'm eating the biscuits and the delicious breakfast of this restaurant chain that I am calling about. I want to know if uh, you, it's okay to keep accumulating these stocks. Now 115 recent high was
4: 170. I see a lot of value in Cracker Barrel, CBR. Well, I mean,
3: if you think travel comes back and you think they're going to be able to have a lot of people in restaurants, then it's a great idea. I, myself, am not recommending any particular restaurant stories because I think things are just too difficult in the industry other than Darden, which is going to clean up, and uh, Chili's Eat Brinker because they've come up with a wing solution that works. (laughs) Let's go to Joe in South Dakota. Joe! Hi, Jim. A big booyah from Deadwood, South Dakota. Oh, there you go. I was wondering. Hey, how's it going? I was wondering if West Rock Company, symbol WRT <laughs> yep. was a good buy on its no, first site. No, there's just still too much cardboard. Uh, they cut the dead. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want you in West Rock. Uh-uh. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning
2: Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
3: With the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ hitting new highs, I want to focus on some beaten down stocks that have been pulverized over the last few months. Stocks like eHealth. That's a health insurance marketplace with a digital platform that helps people to choose the best insurance plans and enroll in coverage online. Coming to this year, eHealth was one of the greatest growth stories around. The stock had gone from $10 four years ago to $150 at its pre-pandemic highs. But in the last six months, eHealth has been, frankly, obliterated. And in this case, it's not about COVID, as the stock bounced back rapidly from the March lows. It didn't help that in early April, a short seller published a super negative research report accusing management of extremely aggressive accounting assumptions and implying that their actual unit economics were a lot weaker than they looked. But the real damage came last month when eHealth reported a complicated quarter. While the headline numbers were much better than expected, in fact, it looked like a blowout to me, there was a lot of worrisome stuff under the hood, including a very high churn rate, we're going to go over what that means, for Medicare Advantage customers. On top of that, the company raised guidance, but the new forecast implies that eHealth's revenue growth will keep slowing later this year. That, If that happens, the stock's going lower. In response, the stock imploded, plummeting 30% in a single day, pretty much what the shorts predicted. And since then, it's drifted even lower. It was a stunning move, and I honestly don't know how to make sense of it. Is the market overreacting, or should we be a lot more worried about this one? Let's dig deeper with Scott Flanders, the CEO of eHealth. You get a clearer picture of what's going on here. Mr. Flanders, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jam, Thanks. All right, so Scott, before we get started, we have to say that you did just go into the market and you bought 50,000 shares, which is not a small dollar commitment, correct? No, well, it was a great value. I couldn't resist it. OK, now, I have to believe that insiders buy stock because they think the future is brighter than the past, which would imply that some of these critics who think that the second half might be weaker could end up being wrong. Or else, why not just wait for the second half to do buy? <laughs> well, you know, Jim, last time I bought
1: shares, they went up more than 10 times. So uh, I'm obviously optimistic. We've got we're just in a great business. You know, we're we're in the right market. Uh, Medicare Advantage is very popular. 11,000 seniors are turning 65 every single day. We have the right strategy. We have competition, but they have a different business model. You know, we're building a world-class e-commerce platform. Uh, We enrolled over 30% of our seniors online uh, just this last quarter. And so we have fantastic momentum. We increased our guidance, uh, 30 million on the top line and 15 million on the bottom line uh, here just at the end of, of Q2. And I think a lot of this success has gotten lost in the noise around the churn dynamic that you mentioned.
3: Well, Scott, I don't know. Uh, I ran a subscription business for 26 years. And when I saw churn, that your churn would tick up to 42 percent, what that said to me was, you're going to lose everybody in three years. And I knew that when the company I ran had churn that was anywhere near the 30s, that I was doing a not good job and would have to disclose it to shareholders which caused the stock of the street, which I'm talking about, to plummet. How do you, I do believe that 42% is too high, sir. Having come from the business that you're in, I know that's not a good number. What can be done to bring it down?
1: So, Jim, I completely agree. You know, I've been in subscription businesses also, and it's absolutely critical that you retain your customers. You know, seniors switch their plans because they can get into a better plan. right? And that's part of our business models to make certain, number one, that we have seniors in the very best plan that gives them the coverage they need at the economic cost that they can afford. So that will always be our North Star, and we will build our business model around it. When we saw a churn tick up in uh, late in the second quarter, we jumped on it. We were fortunate that we were working with Activate. Uh, you know, I know Strauss Zelnick has mentioned Activate, uh, the New York consulting firm on your show. And we put them on this. And my original concern was, you know, how much of this churn is caused by these market dynamics, you know, factors mm-hmm. outside our control. Activate came back and said 90% of the churn is due to our own actions or inactions. Really? So we've already taken the steps that Activate recommended, which is num- there are three things. One, we're hiring more internal agents, increasing our mix mm-hmm. of internal agents versus external agents. Secondly, we aligned our agent compensation to reward them for retaining our members. And third, we formed a retention team. And on this one, we were slow. Our competitors have had retention teams for several years. Right. And I fully admit we were focused on growth. We grew 88% last year, capturing market share, helping more seniors. We really feel passionate about that. And maybe we needed to focus more on retention. We saw that kick up. There's no question if the if the churn continued to escalate, it would undermine our business model. Right. So we've
3: taken it. We've taken it very seriously. Okay. uh, when you do internal, you have a a, there's a season where most business is written. Uh, An internal guy can't be laid off. I mean, I imagine that there are seasons with other seasons that people are dead weight. Yeah. Look, that was a big change that happened in 2019
1: because the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services they extended into Q1 the ability for seniors to change plans. Now, that did elevate churn, okay? Mm -hmm. And it normally, it seasonally normalizes over the course of the year, but it did tick up for us this year. We are able to keep those agents profitable and busy during those periods now because in the first quarter, the seniors can change plans. And so keeping them on staff helps us there. Now, we also have ancillary products, dental, vision, hearing right. insurance, other things that they can sell during Q2 and Q3. So the model has evolved where we can keep these agents on uh, staff all year round. When we were growing at hyper speed, you know, we grew 88% last year. We, too much of that growth came from all external right. agents. Right. So you know, e- we're e- just changing the
3: – We're just changing the dials, Jim. I think it's great that you came on air and said that, that you did, a course, correct uh, using that company that I know, which is definitely going to put you in the right direction. And I understand why you bought stock. It can change because the model needed a tweaking and you did it. That is Scott Flanders, CEO of eHealth. Again, I like to focus on the 50,000 share buy. Why? Because it's a $70 stock. And that's obviously not idle, particularly if the business model has been tweaked where the churn is lower, which is what I cared the most about. Stick with Kramer. I can't really call this housekeeping, but Sorrento Therapeutics tonight, the CFO leaves. That is a suboptimal sign, and you know that we've been concerned about these saliva tests. And with Perkin Elmer, how many days they take anyway? It doesn't sound as special as we thought after listening to Perkin Elmer. Okay, how about this Oracle possible bid for TikTok? I think it's very for real. I think that Safra Katz, the CEO of Oracle, is a genius. And Oracle needs very much to start growing a lot faster, even though my friend Eric Johnson writes on the street that they won't know what to do with the company. Coles was a bad quarter and they have lost their reason for being. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer and I will see you tomorrow. This
2: podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.